A reading from Jeremiah. Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will the hearts of the prophets ever turn back those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? They plan to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, just as their ancestors forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Before we get started here, I've got to be honest, the readings today are the kind that just strike terror in the heart of anyone who has to preach on them ever. After much discernment, I decided to preach on the reading from Jeremiah this morning, and there are a couple things that you should know about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet in ancient Israel. He was one of the last prophets before the kingdom was destroyed by the armies of Babylon and the people deported into exile. Now, in children's sermons before, I've asked, you know, what is a prophet? And after some thought, the response I get is, well, it's, it's when you make money, of course. And in the Bible, a prophet is a person, but not just any person. It's someone who is uniquely gifted at interpreting the times they live in. It's also someone who has great insight into Torah, more than the average person or priest. Prophets always speak God's word, and for the prophet, God's word is not to be found in the writings of a book. The word of God is the living witness, the living message that comes through the prophet's mouth to the people. Something that is always grounded in Torah, but a message that gives light to the values and the things that Torah talks about. So some of you may know, two weeks ago, Representatives from the congregations across the nation gathered in Milwaukee for the ELCA Churchwide Assembly. You may or may not have heard that the assembly voted to designate the ELCA as the nation's first sanctuary church body. My colleagues and I spent many hours last week trying to figure out what does this mean. Now, Bishop Eaton and Bishop Miller both provided several helpful resources for clarifying what this politically charged term means for the ELCA. Spoiler alert, it's a symbolic action declaring the moral nature of the immigration discussion. And it declares the churchwide's intention to continue walking with immigrants during these volatile times. Yet Fox News commentators predictably turned it into bad press for the ELCA. 
Pastor Robert Jeffress preached a 30-second sermon conflating allegiance to government with allegiance to God. Islamic educator Dr. Kanta Ahmed accused the ELCA of threatening the nation with public health crisis by supporting unvaccinated immigrants. So let's talk about government and public health. Jeremiah lived during the days when the last sons of David sat on David's throne in Jerusalem. Ten of the twelve tribes in Israel to the north had been wiped out by Assyria, and the armies of Babylon were spreading across the land, consuming everything in their path. Judah was a sick country at that time. The king built his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, according to Jeremiah 22. This means that the king did not teach his children the ways of the Lord, and he curried favor with the wealthy and the powerful at the expense of the poor and the vulnerable. In chapter 22, God's word through Jeremiah commanded the king to stop doing violence to the immigrants, the orphan, and the widow. Specific charges against the king included making his neighbors work for nothing and not giving them their wages. The king alone was not responsible for the country's illness. The court prophets were also responsible, perhaps even more so than the king. In chapter 23, God's word through Jeremiah laid the country's illness at the feet of the prophets. Their false prophecies had strengthened the hands of evildoers and prevented the country from repenting. God's word through Jeremiah issued this judgment. I am going to make them eat wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. These prophets claimed God's authority and had more followers than Jeremiah. But their oracles were as elusive as dreams to a waking person. They whispered sweet nothings into the ears of kings that God would favor them, that God was on their side, that God would condemn doomsayers and naysayers like Jeremiah. But their prophecies were as frail as chaff and as fragile as rock before the hammer blow of God's word in Jeremiah's mouth. Whereas the painful truths of God's prophets bring nations to repentance and healing, the easy ways of false prophets bring nations to disaster. I've got to be honest, I have strong reservations about the ELCA's decision to endorse sanctuary language. But I'm even more concerned about the false witness being broadcast in Jesus' name. To answer the charges brought by Pastor Jeffress and Dr. Ahmed, is God so busy preparing our personal happily ever after lives that God is unmoved by suffering today? Is God so ignorant of the Bible that God would side with our rulers no matter what policies they implement? Is God so helpless that God cannot think or act independently of us? It seems to me that unvaccinated migrants are less of a threat to the public health 
than ignoring human suffering, equating God with government, and confusing God's our work with God's work are. If there are only three things that every prophet in the Bible agrees on, it is this. God is God. Governments and nations err. And stubborn close-mindedness invites destruction. This doesn't mean that we have God's permission to disrespect the rule of the law. It also doesn't mean that God has no purpose for government or law enforcement. Both are good and necessary things through which God maintains order in the world and works for justice. However, governments and laws have been infected by the disease of sin just as all of us have. When they favor the wealthy and the privileged, when they fail to protect the vulnerable in the land, when they turn against the immigrant and the refugee, that is when they fall short of the purpose for which God ordained them. That is when sin within them becomes a threat to the public health. Jeremiah recognized the serious of the threat to Judah's health. The souls of Jeremiah's opponents were terminally ill. For them, there was no hope of repentance and recovery. Yet there was hope for the nation who would find life through death. Earlier in chapter 23, God promised to raise up a righteous descendant of David. It was said that he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and all Israel will live in safety. His name will be Adonai Zedeknu which means the Lord is our righteousness. Fox News co-host Pete Hegseth does not see the practical implications of a righteous and just reign as a matter of faith, saying we're not talking about saving souls here, we're talking about the rule of the law. But God's word through Jeremiah promised that the righteous king's reign would save Judah and Israel. This means that Judah's and Israel's salvation was impossible as long as Judah's government and prophets continued violating God's law by adding to the burdens of immigrants, orphans, and widows. In other words, caring for the country's most vulnerable inhabitants, whatever their status, was a matter of saving souls. Their salvation did not depend on Israelites making a choice for God. It did not depend on displaying the Ten Commandments and, or even following the written codes of the law, which the court scribes were busily writing down at the time. Salvation depended on God's word alone, spoken through Jeremiah. A righteous and just king would bring life to a dead land following inescapable judgment. If we believe that Jesus is Adonai Zedeknu, then he is that he is the righteous heir of David. 
How can we suppose that tearing children away from their parents, mass deportations without hearings, and pejorative speech are acceptable fixes to the problems in our broken immigration system? As members of Jesus' body and keepers of his teaching, we have a religious and moral obligation to speak up for the good and fair treatment of the strangers among us. We have a religious and moral obligation to provide the most vulnerable with every legal means of recourse available to them. We have a religious and moral obligation to bind the wounds of this land and to soften them with oil before the disease becomes terminal. However we might feel about the sanctuary label, I think we can all agree that the way we read scripture has real consequences for real people. I think we can also agree that how we treat immigrants has always been and continues to be a matter of faith. It is important to know that the ELCA's sanctuary label does not bind member congregations to any particular course of action. It's a common misconception that our church is a top-down structure when in reality it functions more like a relational network. It is also important to know that the ELCA is not encouraging its members to do anything illegal or to engage in illegal activity. The work our congregations have been doing on behalf of immigrants continues much as it has for several generations already. Such work is particularly important for cities and villages like ours, which are first stops for immigrants who arrive in the United States. If nothing else, Churchwide's public declaration of commitment sends a signal that our congregations are safe communities where people, with people who want to help. We can only prepare resources and pray that we are up to the task of accompaniment if God should call upon us to help. This church's attitudes toward immigration have been around for several generations. We are, after all, a church of immigrants. We know from our denomination's own 500-year history how dangerous the church can be when it gets mixed up with the state. The Bible and even Luther's own writings have been used by so many different governments to justify the atrocities that they commit. We have learned that prophets who pronounce God's blessing on such actions are often prophesying out of their own best interests. But God's prophets, true prophets, are always on the side of the stranger, the orphan, and the widow to make sure they get justice, no matter how unpopular that position may be. May we have ears to hear and courage to follow the prophets that God has planted among us.